Good Friday and the Easter weekend becomes so redundant. It feels like Groundhog's Day. The movie, remember that every morning he gets up at the, you know, the same, same time and he goes to the same thing over and over. And I think I could understand to a certain degree. I don't know about you, this week um, kind of made me think about that even further when I saw and read this blog that uh, attracted many readers resonating with a blogger. The blogger calls herself, I'm one of those stoics um, who doesn't really live life with emotions, but he, she said, I like logical things. And, and to her credit, she's just saying, I know I'm bad, but every time this around this time, it just kind of irritates me. Same thing over and over. And she says, um, people begin to, Catholics and Christians all together, start talking about what they're giving up for Lent. And then Good Friday, somehow I feel pressured to cry in somber mood that I don't really like. And then Easter comes, there's a big, I think, mega church stuff, right? Big shows and big invitations. I'm not really thrilled about. Am I alone in this? And then... Right underneath it, the people respond, I'm a feeler, but I, I, I'm with you. Um, and many of them said, you hit the nail on the head. And I, I totally resonate with you. So many people. And there's no, not much of this disagreement. But the reason why I'm saying this, there's some truth in that. The religiosity... And the contentless shell of rituals can be quite meaningless. And after all, her argument is that, why can't I be thankful for Jesus died on the cross all year long rather than this weekend? And then same message all, all over again. Jesus died for me, yada, 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 yada. I get it. What she's saying is that the empty shells of religiosity sometimes feels like so meaningless and that emotion attached to that becomes a little bit of manipulation, a little bit of, especially people who have a different personal personality and temperaments who don't like going to funerals or even sad movies stay away from any kind of those movies, we might feel that. But we're missing the big thing, and this actually concerns me. Not because she agrees and becomes a little sacrilegious in that, but because I smell the man-centered Christian life. Man-centered Christian life. 
if it is really man-centeredness to our Christian life and our uh, Lent and Good Friday and Easter weekend is man-centered, large part of what she's going through, what she's feeling, is true. Except that the true Christianity is revealed in the Bible and that God is so much bigger than us. And as our uh, vision continually emphasize the God-centered view and the worldview of from the Bible is a God-centered. Hence the reason when you think about Good Friday, we will never know the goodness of Good Friday. And we will become desensitized like her, her confession. And that will be justified, rationalized, unless we have a God-centered view. So my question to the, this, uh, tonight, without any manipulation of the mood or anything like that, I want us to honestly meditate on Scripture and be guided in our thinking, in our view of this weekend. Of course, as much as the mega churches, big shows and um, the Easter bunnies and Easter eggs distort so much of you, and Christians are much in the center of that kind of. Uh, wrong approach the weekend. But the question tonight is, how do we, how do we see goodness out of Good Friday? And let me give you a my assertion as your pastor. Every year, no matter how much how many times we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, we are to be shocked by grace. So this week, what helped me to change my thoughts and change my view, worldview, instead of looking at so many other opinions, I looked at Scripture and this is the verse that we will, will be guided the entire weekend. Today, Romans 8 and Romans 4, 25, we're going to do meditate on half of it, and Easter Sunday, the other half. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. That's our tonight's passage. And Easter Sunday... It will be enraised for our justification. I just said the end of today's tonight's message, the assertion that I like to have 
is that every single year we must be shocked by the grace of God. I bet all of you, without exception, will agree with that. But here's a little catch. Um, If we look to the scripture, it doesn't begin with grace. As a matter of fact, if you ask me, what is the key to understanding the gospel? Understanding Christianity. How is this so different from other religions? How do I understand? And many of us will think of love and grace. No, actually it is sin. Unless we understand sin, we will never understand grace of God. And we will never become shocked by grace of God. And my earnest prayer for our church, whenever we think about God, would you bless us spiritually? Eternity is at stake. Would you open our eyes? If you're not careful, we're going to jump into asking for grace and mercy and, and love. But actually, the true work of the Holy Spirit begins with conviction of sin in our heart. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about those Bible-banging, legalistic people who love to accuse what we have not done according to the Bible or what we did wrongly according to the Bible. If we go into that, the sin becomes so shallow, we become easily like a Pharisee. We become justified and rationalized in our hearts. And we're not so bad. So let me ask you. The technology and education, and even in terms of knowledge-wise, compared to 100 years ago, and even 50 years ago, people become much more accustomed to do So not only technology, but availability of knowledge itself. And we become savvy in many senses. So we will look at 1900s, early 1900s, or 1800s. We will say, oh, they live in a just dark age. What about sin-wise? That society is supposed to get better. Education could serve, solve the problem. Is it? If we open the Bible and we see as mirror, not only ourselves but our society, the whole world, our sin problem has be, be, become deeper. 
Back in the days, there was a immoral things and moral things in every day. Average person, street person will say that. But the schemes and lies of the devil, instead of changing things, he actually made demoralism, ah, moralism. There is really no right and wrong. It up to the, up to the person how you feel. The Christians are not any better. So tonight, I'm asking you to think about this problem of sin. The sin is the most realistic. The reason why I use the word most realistic is it is a reality. Not just a conceptual spiritual things, but reality of every problem human faces at the root of it. It is a sin problem. Some people will say, oh, we have problem of government. No, government are full of people who have sinful depravity. So if, if you think about communism itself, conceptually, theoretically, communism is so idealistic. And no wonder every time when young people hear about communism and even socialism, in some sense, are drawn to that. The problem is, is the depravity of people. When the communist, communist countries don't work the way that the, the theories say because evil, depravity of sinful heart violates all the, the equality of that. Isn't it obvious that when you think about not only the Soviet Union, the, the whole communist country fell, except the real one evil country is kind of darkest world is the North Korea. And then when you think about North Korea's communism, is it is hysterically evil. When you think about the, the people and people's freedom and equality of that, what happened? The one dictator became close to be God. We say democratic society is an idealistic world. No, we choose democracy not because it is the best, but because it is the second evil or lesser evil. Why? There is a democracy, there is, there is a, um, the balance to it. And the wisdom of our church in that sense also too. Instead of one person, no matter how, how godly, how how person is strong leader and charismatic leader, the church, the, the scripture guidance and even church governance is a multiple leadership. Our elders and I, we lead together to balance each other. Why? Because my heart 
and every single wickedness of our elder's heart need to be checked in that sense. That's the wisdom of the scripture. Some say the problem is in education. If education is fixed, and that's probably the most mainstream message, right? The, the, the government comes in and, and say, we can change. And there is hope. Did it? So our educational system has not produced a better man and better woman. Even this week, I read a suicidal pastor. If you're looking into our evangelical world, um, moral failure, the most, most likely affair of a large church, very conservative, Bible-preaching church's pastor. Good Friday will never become really good unless we come to understand the gravity of our sin, the depravity of our heart. We are sinners not because we sin, but because we are sinners with sin. In other words, Beyond our deeds, the deep source of our sin, sinful deeds, is our heart. When you look at the newspaper, the horrendous stories, whether it's a unthinkable child molestation or, or um, gang rape, and even, even the white-collar um, you know, kind of uh, uh, crimes of money laundering and different things, and even within the church. What we need to realize is that that is how far my heart can be, become sinful. But what we like to do is we want to compare we want to compare it to others who are worse than us and we're going to compare in terms of my standard being relatively better than the person next to us and self-justification and self-rationalization happens Unless we come to grips with the idea of this sin inside of me is something I can never solve. We will not look for grace. We will not look for Savior. We will not look for Christ paying the penalty of our sin in place of us, substituting himself 
for our sins and in our place. We're hopeless. And once again, you know, it, this is not the, the yearly bringing up the guilt kind of thing. But when you think about your Christian life, the more you get to know your heart in your journey and honest truth, and the more you realize the good things that you have underneath their rocks, there is a depravity. The wise person spiritually is the one who cannot trust, who does not trust himself or herself because of that depravity. And we just read it. When the sin is revealed, we will say to the mountain to fall on us. You know the picture is when you're so ashamed of your sins, and the guilt is amounting. You want to be covered up. And that leads us to the second thing that we need to see. We must to see who God really is from the Bible. And who God is, God really is at the center of it. Before we talk about love of God, mercy of God, we ought to see the justice of God. The reason why our, our society do not have the vocabulary of sin anymore, except that in some literature or some uh, figurative language, and we made a mistake and we uh, mishaps, shortcomings, uh, in, in a way that... Um, When, when, when it becomes some kind of a, the deeds that hurt others, and this person has a mental disease. I, I have a friend of mine who's you know, was, uh, majoring in. He used to do the, the um, immigration law. It was hard for him and didn't make much money. And he found out the criminal law was actually... So much of excess. So he actually shift his focus, entire focus on criminal law now. And he visits prison, and he, he just takes anyone who's willing to do that. In the process, his confession to me is, Paul, you study psychology when you're undergrad. You know, uh, I, when I understand this, um, the assessment and everything, the best defense that I could give it to anyone is to give them a name for mental disease. Any kind of obsession or whatever that is. So he's looking for, he's actually studying that. And it's not just a criminal law, even within our families and our marriage. We, are, we ought to come up with just full, sincere repentance to each other. But we don't know how to ask for forgiveness. The words like, I was wrong, please forgive me, is not the typical language. It's a strange language. 
So I am actually advocating whenever I do premarital counseling, you know, marital counseling, to use that. I own this as my sin. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Did you hear me in the beginning of it? The grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit begins with opening our eyes to our sin first. So I'm praying tonight. The Holy Spirit will work in us to reveal the reality of our depravity, which will lead us to humility, to brokenness, to spiritual poverty, and to become desperate. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. When you call the sinners, do not pass me by. Fanny Crosby, who was a blind, who wrote the hymn, basically the, gives us the picture. Pathetic picture, obviously. But this is the spiritual readiness and brokenness that Jesus talked about. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. When you are calling sinners, do not pass me by. Have mercy on me. Savior, oh, I cry out to you. That's the picture. Unless we see God, we become relative once again. So let me bring up this subject of approaching to God. Bible says God is just. Just is not close to right. No, just, God is just means absolutely Completely, he's holy. Not a single spot, tinge of sin and darkness. And picture this. The way you dress right now, you guys look okay, and I look okay. We don't feel much of a, a, you know, ashamed of our, the way we dressed. But imagine this. I think I, I experienced it myself also too. When you go to the five-star hotel and there is a bright light in the lobby and everything's so fancy and people are in tux. When you go there, what do you feel like? You feel like, ooh, you know, I, 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 I feel so small. I feel so dirty in some sense. Jesus said that. I came, and the world did not receive me because of their sinfulness. And Apostle John said, God is light. When, when the world come to God, and that, you know, those who are in darkness cannot come closer to God, and there is no fellowship because the light exposes the darkness, sin. So just imagine... When we are approaching God, when we are far away from God, we look okay. But closer, closer, we approach to God. And our sins are revealed. And we want to hide once again. There is such a thing 
called a theological term. Very fancy word, but it's a simple thing. Retributive righteousness. Retributive justice. Simply put, any wrong has to be paid. Retributive. It has to be retributed. Meaning, let's say you're taking a drive on somebody else's car, and then you're pulling away from the parking lot, but you ran into the rail and you broke the street light and entire thing. So the insurance pays for the car, but doesn't pay for other things. What do you do? And that person says, I forgive you, but that forgiveness, still there is a retribution in that. In other words, costly receiving of that cost of that person. So this is why God only can forgive in the scripture, right? Because we, don't, we cannot pay everything that has been done. But God, to put it very bluntly, God's justice, every single sin will be punished. There is no darkness in him. God's justice, that's why we could be very, you know, rest in God's sovereign care also too. Any wrongdoing to us and by somebody else's wickedness will be punished, will be paid for. So when you think about justice of God, we cannot pay for our sins. Which leads to the third thing, we must see the love of merciful God. God is loving, who delivered up his own only son for our trespasses, for his mercy. Once again, depravity, our, the seriousness, weightiness of our sin. And that we cannot do anything about that. And that God's justice is there. There will be a judgment day. Every sin will be accounted for. If we don't have a Savior, we will surely die. That is not just a physical death. And as I mentioned in, in the training, eternal separation from God, eternally dying. So when we cry out and begin to see our spiritual poverty and God's justice, and then here's what God does. God steps in and delivers up his own son, one and only son, for our trespasses, for our sins. Good Friday is good. Because of this, but if you do not understand that correctly, we're going to get messed up again. This is a common misunderstanding. Here's a God who's, especially the Old Testament God, who's uptight about doing things his way. And then he's mad at us because we did bad things. And our motive is bad in sometimes. He's mad at us and he's about to punish us. And Jesus shows up like mom who's protecting his children from his, 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 you know, their angry dad. Hit 
me instead to not harm my children. This kind of half-truth and even 80% truth distorts the, the centrality of who God really is. If you really think about this, the picture is absolutely wrong because God is actually giving himself through Christ. Christ is not actually the third party that who steps in. God is one God, one in essence. God became one of us so he could give himself, deliver himself up to us. In other words, he died in our place. He gave himself up. Christ is not someone who's, who's totally different from God the Father. One God. Of course, there's a mystery on Jesus stepping in voluntarily and gives himself. And that's why it is the love of God. This is when, um, when I survey Wondrous Cross, the song, the hymn writer says it, crosses where love and sorrow meet. Do you feel loved by God? You will not feel love of love by God unless how sinful you really are at the core. Do you feel loved by God? You will not feel the love of God until the justice and holiness, the, the light of God expose you and what is accounted for. And if you are like me and stepping into that and troubling, we become like the tax collectors beating our chest. Have mercy on me, a sinner. When we see that, we will see the goodness that will shock us. So would you take this weekend, starting with tonight, to meditate on three things. The gravity of your own sin. Not because of what you just did, but because of sinfulness of your heart, depravity of your heart. And the justice of God who reveals, who brings a judgment, the wrath of God, who is holy God, And the love and mercy of God who gave himself up, who delivered himself through his own son. And then we can't wait until the Easter morning because we get to meditate and raised for our justification.
And this is incredible. Blessed be to God. Because I am not in the sentimental mood because of this, you know, this weekend and tonight. But my heart is honestly deeply moved because of this meditation. Unless we become vigilant, we're going to become man-centered again and look for human orientation of our religiosity, which will lead us either very pragmatic person who rationalizes in our way of doing things, or we will completely drift away from God. And we are to come to the cross. How do we come to the cross? This is the closing that I have. John Stott writes, But we cannot escape the embarrassment of standing stark naked before God. It is no use our trying to cover up like Adam and Eve in the garden. Our attempts at self-justification are as ineffectual as their fig leaves. We have to acknowledge our nakedness, see the divine substitute wearing our filthy rags instead of us, and allow him to clothe us with his own righteousness. Nobody has ever put it better than Augustus Topolody in his immortal hymn, Rock of Age. This is the third stanza, he writes. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked, come to you for dress. Helpless, look to you for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die.